everyone and welcome to the American Scouser podcast. We are back in action. All three of us here. Some of us barely making it. The rest of us ready to go. I even made notes almost as if I prepared for the show tonight. Making a change over here. Lots to talk about from today's game. So we'll get to all that. I am your host as always, Smoochin. Uh, with us today is the usual duo with me. Uh, occasionally Blurry Galley is here with us. Galley, what's happening? Ah, hopefully in full, uh, clear picture. And if not, it will just be blurry mindset. But uh, great day. We actually have a win to talk about. Yes. Happy Monday to all. And nothing says happy Monday like Bickler. Bickler, what's happening? Just alive despite everyone. That's all. Against all odds, yes. Uh, Brian Shelton is with us. Brian says, evening, guys. Happy to have a wrong prediction. And, yeah, it's um, – I think, you know, obviously I was hoping for this win. Uh, went really a lot more comfortable than I thought, but a lot to talk about the game. So let's do what we always do and what we love to do. I know especially Galley loves it more than anybody else. Alan says, greeting from Houston. And we have trivia. And with us, as always, is BJ to do the trivia section. Uh, technical difficulties all around. Or BJ has so much stuff in the background that there it doesn't even work now. Oh, nope, it does. There he is. What's going on, BJ? How's it going, gentlemen? Just, just celebrating like it's 1999 after a win. Yes, it was like a flashback. At one point, I even put on the Discord. I was like, what is this, 2021? Just the goals we were scoring just made flashbacks. Brought back the good old day memories. But, BJ, let's get these guys in the trivia moods because they're already ready to go. What do you have for them this week? Well, I know there's there's a lot to talk about, so I'm going to try to keep this short. And I was going to make it a really, really difficult question. But then after the fantasy podcast last Thursday, and I hear this, Now, call, now, it call, quite sure? now, calling me bastard, you know, that just endears to my heart. So we're, we're, we're going to make it simple. We've just celebrated our 208th league match against Everton. The 122nd consecutive, 61 consecutive seasons. But that got me thinking. So we're going to play Name That Club, which may or may not be Liverpool. Which club has the longest current streak of consecutive seasons in English top flight? And Galley, you should know this one because it relates to one of the stack graphics we posted. Which club has the longest consecutive streak in the top flight? Before you ask Bickler, as you can see, BJ put it on there. It's not only Premier League, it includes well, like, going back to top flight in the past as well. So, so I'm yeah. just covering all the bases here because I know he was warming it up to fire that question. But Bickler, here. what is your answer? Hint, hint. Here are the six oh, clubs from the hints Premier too? League that have yeah, never been relegated. Just because they schmoozed you a little on the fantasy show, man, you don't have to like really go easy on them. No, you know, no, that's no, the no, only no. reason they probably schmoozed you in the fantasy. <laughs> So who do you th- who do you think? Pickler, all you. <clears throat> um, I will go. I go Arsenal. Arsenal, okay. Galley, what do you think? Everton. No, that's Everton. 
the reverse Seriously? psychology fails uh, Galley over here. Everton, good God. Galley, you should have gotten this one. Guess I was going to make you guess the number of seasons, too. It's actually Arsenal. Oh, 97 consecutive seasons. They were relegated right before the break in World War One. Earned promotion before the league dropped for World War One. Promoted right afterwards, and has been in top flight ever since, excluding the seven seasons for World War Two. So, uh, Alan had guessed Aston Villa, but that, nope. was that even one of the options? Wasn't no, even on the, they, they it wasn't even on Come on, Alan! They're giving the title. To be quite honest, I probably would have missed it because yeah. part of me wanted to pick Newcastle. So now, er- I mean, Everton, Everton is second, sixty-nine seasons. Liverpool 61, Man United 48, Tottenham 45, and Chelsea 34. Those are the six that at least are still in the Premier League. And, of course, Everton, who knows, that 69 may be the appropriate number to end at. But um, but just remember, when it comes to Arsenal, you can't spell Arsenal without spelling arse. <laughs> the trivia keeps so, getting better. Well, thanks, note, BJ. You were able we to find a question to appease all these schmoozers and get one that even Bickler can get right. So that's a double double win. Hey, hey. And I, I couldn't go with that because that was what Paul said. So if I had gone with that, it would have just felt dirty. Oh, well. Hey, Gally, let's just gracefully lose tonight, okay? All right? Let's do that. <laughs> that's how it works. I was going to say, come on, man. <laughs> Y'all take Thanks care, lot, gentlemen. BJ. Up the Reds. Take care. Yes, we found one that Bickler got right on the first guess. That's pretty impressive. What a well, you what know, a if you go, if you go first every week, if you go first every week, you're gonna, you know, with all the lumps, I'm eventually gonna I'm eventually gonna land one as well. So and, and on this one, he was actually given the answers. <laughs> it's like God. a multiple choice kind of a thing. But hey, Look, I don't know what you guys discussed before I got here, but Galley's gotta fucking reel it back in a little bit. <laughs> Awfully aggressive tonight. Galley yeah, was early. very early to the show. He appeared like four minutes before airing. So uh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he had a lot of time to warm up over here. Okay, let's get to today's game. Obviously, most of the conversation is going to be going around this. Uh, starting 11 right here. Uh, this, uh, the ratings by Sofa score. I know there's like a lot of things that go to the equation, but try to ignore those i just kind of like how they lay it out overall but so um bickler we'll, we'll start with you because we did talk with galley in the pre-match show in terms of like the lineup and stuff but what did you make of the starting 11 uh especially like uh, i guess the midfield i think we knew the front three for the most part right what did you make of the midfield yeah well i actually loved it because i think it saved Klopp from himself because i think if tiago was healthy he probably starts here and shouldn't um so i think that this is actually like the good lineup. I know Fabinho is the one, right, that probably everybody was worried about. But I thought if you're going to put him back into the lineup, doing it on seventh day plus rest is probably the spot to do it. So I think we got um, – I think the calendar lined up nicely to be able to do that here. I think this is probably the best lineup possible. Uh, this is the lineup that – I mean, I was pretty happy with this. Uh, for those of you that are actually uh, – just listening and can't see the video. We have a graphic of the lineups up, and this, this, this actually shocks me that the average age of our squad is within a half year of Everton's squad. If you would have told me that, I mean, I know, um, 
I think Bacetic is really bringing but that Bacetic is probably <laughs> Bacetic is probably weighing this thing down a little bit, but still, I would have thought we would have been much older than Everton squad for sure. Actually, that's a good point. Uh, it says a lot about Everton at the same time, right? Because they did have, yeah. like, you know, Sims is a pretty young dude. Uh, but, yeah, it does look like there's a lot. I mean, then again, they have Seamus Coleman there. So uh, <laughs> that, yeah, that sure. kind of, like, really, it has the like starting effect. Uh, so, okay, I want to basically go kind of, like, line by line and focus on a couple of the players. But before we even do that, kind of, like, want to get your guys' overall if you had like one thing to take away from this game, Galley, like what is your biggest takeaway? Well, I mean, Mo needed a goal and got one. And it was created by just an absolute Darwin moment, like where he just uses his pace, just wreaks havoc down the wing, and then makes a really great cross. And Mo on a one time just finishes it off. And it felt like it was exactly what the side needed. That's one side of it. And I think the other side is the other opposite uh, silo on the offense, which is Gakpo finally scores. And I think in the last two or three matches, Gakpo's played really well and put in good shifts, put himself in good position. I think he just needed something good to come out of it. And this, to me, felt like the perfect type of – he scored a Liverpool goal where it was all a great run and great play by – Trent, but he's in the right place and he scores that goal. And I think those two things together um, were the big components for me. How about you, Bickler? Like, what's your, like, if you took one takeaway from this game, what is your biggest takeaway? I mean, that finally we got a bounce. I mean, we've been talking about how, like, we've been talking about how we just aren't getting breaks, how we're unlucky. And, you know, we talked about whether, how much you create your own luck in this game. And I'm a firm believer that you do create your own luck, but, like, look, the the major like the facts of the matter are we didn't we didn't necessarily defend set pieces any better than we have all year. We just happened to get one off the post and hit him on a counter, right? And like that's just the difference between being one down early, like we've been all year, and being up one nil early, which we haven't done a lot of this year. And I think that changed a lot, like that like thirty second span, really. Um, so I think that was the game for me. I think highlighting, yeah, like if I look at this from a, from like a thousand feet up, what I like about this is all the people that we wanted to be back involved in goals were. Like you've got great stories. Nunez creates a goal for Sala who badly needed a goal. I mean, Trent didn't technically get the assist, but he essentially got the assist on the second goal. Um, and I think, you know, we talked about it. Gakpo was in, in the spot where he needed to be and gets a goal. So like when I look at those goals, the players that we wanted to be involved were back involved, which was refreshing. Uh, I think much needed for the side. I thought players that, you know, weren't involved in goals across the pitch had great games. I thought Robbo was back to what we need Robbo to be. We need him to be like, it's just an absolute menace, like in a junkyard dog down the left side. And he was all game. Like we'll talk about the moment where he's having a laugh and winding everybody up, but he was just an absolute menace the entire game down that left side. And then we can't really at this we can't really say enough good things about um, Bacetic at this point. Like that that kid, um, and I know we don't want to do this, right? We've done this with Curtis Jones. We've done this with Tyler Morton. We've done this with Jordan Ive. We've done Woodburn. this with Harry Wilson. We've done this with Woodburn. Like for every 50 Let's Academy stop doing kids it. that come in, right, there's only one Trent Arnold, right? Like they came through. Like So that's how rare that is. But what I do like about this kid, if you take – 
you know, there is a tendency to step into the starting 11 and sort of outplay your boots for that first fit of form. What I like about what I'm seeing from him right now, though, is there's a quiet confidence in this kid that like doesn't seem like he's playing with with people that he's trying to bet in. He seems like a peer to peer, which is very unusual for a kid his age in both his relationship on the pitch. And like, I think to me, what really stood out to me was how he anticipates and reads the game. He reads the game at an incredibly high level when you look at his positioning and even like he's stepping into half spaces before passes are made from the opposition. And that's really, really, really hard to teach a kid that's a teenager at that level. So, I mean, it's hard not to be optimistic about him, but those are sort of the high points for me. Yeah, I think, you know, we'll get to, we'll, we'll talk a lot about him, I think, when we get to the midfield. I think one thing that he has, I mean, he's probably like been the bright spot and even Mo saying, was saying it after the, in the post-match interview that he's probably been their best player uh, recently. And I think, yeah, the poor form of people around them probably kind of has helped that aspect of him just playing like a peer, you know, I mean, like, it's just like, yeah, I, I'm probably the best one over here right now kind of a deal. So I think that has helped the cause, but let's start from the defense and go forward. And a couple of things I want to look at over here. So the center back pairing looked a lot better than it was. I uh, definitely the set piece defending was not uh, what it should be. And at the same time, they were going against Sims, Gray, Mape. So it's not like a role of threats to deal with too. So, Gally, let's start with you on this one. What did you make of the how that pairing played for one? And for Trent, I mean, we kind of already covered Robo, but for Trent, you, you get the good Trent, right, with the goal. And a lot more of the good Trent I think we got this week, probably because of due to the, you know, Henderson being there, where he was making those runs up top, you know, like next to Mo, widening, stretching the fields, you know, creating more space for Mo to cut in and things like that. But then at the same time, you see the regular trend that we see defensively, where he gives like an open header, kind of like does not track back as he should or loses his guy and stuff like that. Uh, is this basically going to be like what we get? You're going to have to kind of take the good with the bad and then the center back pairing two questions in one for you for that back line. So I'm going to start with the center back pairing. I thought they were much improved, but there was only one way to go from the wolves matchup where they might've been the two worst players on the pitch. So uh, Matt tip was kind of criminal early. Everton had two or three chances, including that corner in which they almost scored on that Paul alluded to. And then we scored the goal. That's on like a poor Matip clearance that leads to a corner. So again, he's he had a shaky start to this matchup. Um, Gomez was better for me, so I'll I'll say they were. Eh. They didn't go up against anyone. I mean, they went up against Billy Sims, and I thought it was best in the Discord channel when the first comment was, "Who is this Sims kid, and who and should we worry?" And I thought to myself, they called him back on loan, and he hadn't scored a goal. So clearly they thought they needed a striker. Um, it just lets you know what they, what uh, Sean Dice thinks of Neil Mopai if he is starting Billy Sims over him yeah. today. Um, but I think more or less with Trent, we probably have to get used to this. It makes it sad to say it. And like, and I only say we have to get used to it like until someone either changes his position because I think at this point he's probably this type of defender. 
And that's probably not good enough for where we want to be. So either he has to have his position moved or he has to get like a real shakeup. And it's been long enough now that we haven't seen a change. I don't know that we're going to see it. So I think you take the free kicks, the goals, and the really great offensive moments, and you just have to hopefully have center backs that cover up for his weaknesses. Because if not, I don't think he cares anymore about trying to be a great defender. I just think he really wants to be a great attacker. I And that's the thing. I mean, some of the stuff that he did, I think he's a pretty decent defender one-on-one. Right. I mean, we saw a couple of times Fair. this game like, you know, Bickler, but I think in terms of positioning and that's something that you would think would be built into the system right now. It's a lot of like a lot of the stuff he does is more instinctive stuff, like a gut feeling stuff, uh, almost like, I don't know, like a, in American football, like a safety, you know, like knowing, feeling, being there just because sensing certain things. And it feels like that's not going to be there. And he's not like a 17, 18 year old old kid anymore so should we be basically content with what we get and kind of like take it as i mean there have been a lot of right and left backs like him in the past throughout history where they're great moving forward and just because of that you kind of deal with the fact that sometimes they're going to be lacking defensively and what did you make of the cornerback pairing i mean the center back pairing i got stuck uh they were they were okay i'll start with center backs as well they were they were okay um, I thought they're fine. I, I think, you know, Matip does that thing where he's got to figure out his little, his fucking spidey legs in the first 10 minutes um, and sort out how gangly he is. But like, I mean, Joe is Joe. Like I think speaking of players that are what they are, I think Joe Gomez is, we've talked about how incredibly high this kid's ceiling has been for so long. I think you kind of are, at what you got with Joe. And I think the problem with Joe is that he has really, really high highs and really low lows. And you can't predict which one you're getting. Yeah. Like we, he's, he's like the perfect example of a yo-yo player in terms of performance. Um, mm. And we'll talk about him looking like an absolute unit one game. And then the next game he plays and we're talking about how halftime couldn't come soon enough for him. So I think that's what you're going to get with him. I, I mean, I didn't have a problem with the pairing. I think Galley said it best. Anything was an improvement from Wolves. Um, so Trent, I'm probably more sympathetic to Trent's plight than any player on this current Liverpool side. And I think my bottom line with Trent is, is if you're going to play a system, which essentially is tailor-made for this player, if you're going to play a system that pushes your fullback super high up, and is designed to essentially make creative switches in the in the back third and win the ball high up in the in the opponent's third. If you're gonna play with a fullback that does that, I don't know that you've got a better one with a better skill set than Trent. The problem with Trent right now is that he's got a depleted midfield in front of him because that midfield rotational spot on the right side has always been the side that is covered for Trent. And that, uh, I mean, our deficiencies across the board, I think, hurt that position more so than any. Because if you remember when we were at our impenetrable peak, when we were essentially not, we would go four or five game stretches without teams scoring on us, was when we had peak Fabinho and peak Henderson tucking in behind. Um, And that's not, like, I love Henderson. I thought he had a great game today, actually. But, like, that's not, he doesn't have the legs for both sides anymore. He just doesn't. 
So I think the state of the midfield has been more impactful on Trent than any other position in the side. And I think that that problem that we have with Trent is that 90% of the times he gets blamed for being out of position, he's not technically out of position. The person covering for him has not been able to get back in the spot. Now, the Davies header today is classic yeah. Trent where he comes back and loses the back post. Yep. And I don't know if that will ever get fixed, but that's why you need two dynamite sentiment halves that can play the ball with their feet and are big athletic in the air. And you need a midfielder that can come back and pull out and is a big, like big old box-to-box classic eight. That's what the system is set up to do. So that's the question with Trent. If you want to keep the system, you have to improve the parts around him to make him the best part of the system. And that's kind of what the system was designed to do. If you want to change the system – I think you got to change his position or you got to upgrade to a classic fullback. Yeah, that's the thing. I think that's my only problem with him. I think, yeah, like he gets a lot of flack for like, oh, where is he at? Well, the system is set up like that. That's, you know, the midfielder should be covering it. You know, like Brian says, you know, a younger fab uh, covered Trent. And I think, yeah, those guys know the slide into those positions. The ones that I'm concerned about is all those back post ones that he just totally has no idea where this guy is and like even today like he kind of came towards the ball where the center back was and then just totally lost it and obviously like honestly like another a finisher in the back post probably does a more of it maybe perhaps even they were talking about the broadcast the fact that it was his first touch on the ball probably uh has a lot to do with it as well but so or that it's tom davies for- the fact that it was tom davies probably had a lot to yeah do that, <laughs> that that too yeah uh but uh, let's go to the midfield I thought, I mean, obviously, Bezadich was awesome. Fabinho, to me, was better than what we've seen in the past. Still not as himself, but I think he was a lot closer to being himself than the like the horrific version we've been seeing. But as I watch the game, uh, Galley, I feel like this midfield goes as far as Jordan Henderson can take them. Because, you know, his pace in moving the ball, his energy, his trigger to press the start at times is basically kind of like makes this midfield go. You take Henderson out today. I think Bickler nailed it on the head. If it wasn't Henderson, for example, if Henderson was not there or like Thiago was there today, I think it's a totally different midfield. But what did you make of that midfield three? Because I know yeah, initially I, I made a comment out. Rematch, you actually prefer to have like Keita out there for some kind of like more of like a creative force too. But I want to get in there for Fabinho. I called for Henderson this morning in our Discord channel saying I thought that he had to start the derby. I I thought one of Henderson or Milner needed to start the match and the other one needed to finish it. And for once, I was actually right um, about something. Henderson started and Milner finished it. But I thought their leadership was not the trivia. That's me. That's you, Paul. It's all you guessing Arsenal. You got one out of six. I am so freaking God, proud so of you. So bitter. So bi- can't handle the truth. <laughs> the best. Um, just the best. But I I I actually thought Henderson should start the match. And I, I made a comment at one point, like it was when it was still nil-nil, but Mo had a couple of touches inside the box. There was some good inner interplay between Mo Hendo and uh, Trent and it created opportunities and you could just see how much faster the ball moves when Henderson's on the pitch. And for me, that just, it, it sets things up, especially when we're not clicking at our finest. I feel like we almost need the metronome that is Henderson that just makes sure 
that the pace and the tempo and everything works. And even, I mean, even the goal, right. That he, that he buries into the net when he <laughs> takes that shot. And he's just like, and the look on his face, like he almost looked at the ref, like, are you going to go to VAR and check and see if we might've been on side? Like that might've went in the guy's like, we blew the whistle, man. He's like, did you see that shot? But it almost felt like it was him, like kind of like making the mood lighter for the players on the pitch. Cause it was still nil nil. And at that time it was still on a knife's edge. And I just think that what Henderson brings when he can play and give you a shift, he doesn't have to be the best player on the pitch. Yeah. He just has to be healthy enough to give you everything for those 60, 80, 90 minutes, whatever you ask him. And if he can give you that, he's always like we rate players, right? On like a plus five, a minus Jordan Henderson is always a net positive. If he is healthy and playing. And today we saw that. Like we didn't see the get him off the pitch. He looks old and decrepit. We saw like we need more of this. He makes this go. And one thing Bickler is when you have the regular Henderson, you really have that right wing going because he can cover Trent like we were talking about earlier. And I think more importantly, one thing I like about Henderson is he lets players do their thing. There are a lot of times where he has the ball, he's coming up, and he sees Mo on the right-hand side. He feeds it to Mo right away, whereas most midfielders, like I know if it's Thiago, he's kind of like rolling it around in his ankle a little bit more, like kind of like pushing forward to see if he can find that perfect through ball or something like that. Whereas Hand almost plays like, hey, you're fucking fast. You're probably going to do more than with this than I do. And he kind of like feeds that ball to Mo. And I really felt like we got more out of Mo because of that today because the ball was fed to him a lot earlier. Instead of these long balls, we kind of like forced to him or ones where we want him to make the run and he gets caught in between two, three people in the traffic. It felt like it, it was a lot more of a, here's the ball, you know, one-on-one or, you know, like do something, make a move and stuff like that. So, I mean, are we, am I just over? Because I, you guys know me. No, I mean, I kind of like Jordan Henderson is going to, He's like, he's going to retire. And I think Jordan Henderson will remain one of the most underrated players in Liverpool. And he'll go down as one of the most decorated and the most decorated captain at this club. And I think what says the most about Jordan Henderson is when you listen to his international teammates talk about him, like, cause you know, he's kind of on the peripheral from a playing standpoint of the international team and always has been, but he's at the heart of that team's culture in terms of like, Everybody wants to be around him in training. Everybody talks about <clears throat> and like you have Harry Kane talking about how like technically gifted Jordan Henderson is from a footballing standpoint. And I think that stuff just gets unnoticed uh, because the way he plays is so nuts and bolts and so devoid of certain flair. Um, and I think, you know, when he came up, he had this unfair shadow of Steven Gerrard, who's a, a local kid who, plays in a way where the play has to go through Gerard and he has to grab the game by the scruff of the neck. Right. Obviously that changed later in his career, but like, I think Gerard as a captain was known as having the captain's arm man in a Ronaldo way where I'm going to single-handedly win this match if I need to through any means necessary. And what Jordan is, is Jordan to me, Henderson is like, the definition of a midfield conductor. Like he essentially has nine players on a leash and he controls the depth 
in the positioning of those players by how he communicates and where he positions himself in the pitch. So I think it like Galli always talks about him being a net positive. That's because unlike Gerard, he didn't he doesn't single handedly win games, but he puts players in the position to win games for him. Yeah. And like and he knows who that player needs to be versus the competition, depending on who we're playing. So it always benefits Mo because I think positionally he puts Mo in positions to make the runs that Mo likes to make. Um, and which I think has been really difficult this year with the insertion of both Gakpo and um, Nunez. Uh, Nunez, who is an unconventional striker playing in a style that suits Klopp, and Gakpo, who is more of a conventional striker who I don't know stylistically fits Klopp. I still have some question marks about that. So, But I think <clears throat> to the original point, Jordan Henderson is just amazingly underrated and will probably always be so because of the way he plays. Um, and I think so much of our success is down to him. Um, I don't know that he's got the legs to play like he used to, but man, if he can give us games like today where he's got rest, it's going to go a long way towards finding that next wave into the, the, the club that kind of takes over. Hopefully Jude Bellingham takes that armband eventually. We can only hope. Uh, but I, I mean, it leaves room. If he can put in matches like this, this leaves room to breathe into that for that to like sort of evolve naturally. Yeah, I think like Galley says, I mean, even if he gives 60 minutes of, you know, what we are used to seeing from Hendo, I think that goes a long way. That wins you a lot of games. Hendo is kind of like that maintenance guy. Like if you see the team as like gears, like he's the maintenance guy. You don't notice him, but he's the one that's making sure everything is working. Little WD-40 here, cleaning that thing there. It doesn't get noticed, but he's the one that kind of like makes everything work. So I'm glad you kind of like, brought us to the front so let's talk about the front three because i thought they they're like interesting talking points from all of all three of them today so let's start with nunez so gally when i watched nunez and i think dixon even pointed out at one point it just seems like the front three was kind of it's always reminds me of like the quarterback that's really great out of the pocket but can't sit in the pocket to deliver anything kind of a player you know like can never be that pocket passer is it just because he's kind of like still newer to the system still trying to get his confidence and stuff like that because yes you love the god knows what he's gonna do now he's running like crazy again thing and you see what he does with the counter is strength and speed and stuff like that obviously you know the talents you have there but do you think he can form into the guy that can bring all those within a system that he can be in the interplay and stuff like that. I think eventually he, I I do believe eventually he can play within a system because he's a professional footballer and he hasn't just run like a wild horse for his entire career. Like he's found ways to fit into different programs and systems. This system is very much like cause and effect and being in the right place at the right time and making the right runs and I don't know that it exactly suits his greatest traits because he is a little bit of a chaos-like warrior. Um, but I, I forget who it was. Maybe it was Kazi. Someone, like, described it and was like, this Nunez guy is like is like a wild horse running through a mall. Like, and he still looks like that every yeah. single time he's on the field. Like, I see him and I'm just thinking, like, if I were a defender, I would just be like, what the fuck? <laughs> why do I got to deal with this? Like, why him? Did you see that look? That look in Seamus Coleman's eyes at one point when he was running at him 
and he almost looked like I'm not only going to embarrass you, I'm going to run over you. And Coleman almost like was like like the same look like an eight year old would have outside of Sephora in the mall when that fucking horse was coming at it. And like that's what it still kind of feels like. Like there there is so much growth and like. But his skill set and his talent is so evident every time you watch him play. It just, it's so frustrating because I think right now he could have like three lucky goals, two like keepers wouldn't have made worldy saves, and like just one deflection. And we'd all be like, he has 20 freaking goals in the Premier League. And we'd all just be like, oh, he's great. But instead, we question it because the goal scoring volume's not there. But I think when you see even today, like his vision down that run when he makes that run, I mean, he gets down that line, he beats the defender. He knows there's runners in the middle. He squares the ball perfectly on a volley and and Mo buries it. And the happiness between them all. But he was more happy, it seemed like, when Gakpo scored because it was a guy just like him that needed a goal. And he was celebrating. Like, I feel like he is betting in with these guys really, really well. And I think he's going to be an absolute stud. I just think we're going to have to, like, get through this first season because it's basically him just ripping up the mall. Yeah, and I think, you know, in the past, I think the teams he's played, it's, I think, almost been okay to be like, yeah, dude, just go out there and cause havoc. Because, uh, you know, we can cover, you know, everything else. and not maybe not need did not need as much like defensive work from them and all those kind of things that we expect to get so it is an adjustment for him i'm glad brian brought this up about mo's uh post interview where he said like you know he was kind of like went out of his way to say like nunes is going to get a lot of goals in this league and stuff like that because that kind of like also shows that these guys understand the pressure that he's under another thing that i really like liked when mo was talking about it was how he said, you know, like, they're almost like, you know, we practice together. It almost got the sense that they're getting more used to each other. I mean, you got to figure when Mane was there, Mane, Bobby, Mo, we rode that to death. And it's almost like, you know how it is, Bickler, when you play with a couple of other people, especially on the attacking side, you're a striker. There are times where you know what the other guy is going to do. Like, you don't even have to lift your head up. or You know where he's going to be and stuff like that. That kind of takes time to build overall. Do you see just by the type of player he is, Nunez eventually becoming that? Or is he always going to be this guy in the mall running around? Mm. I, I, I don't know. I, I, he's a weird one, right? Because I think Nunez is a type of, he's a type of player that you see at like the youth and lower division levels. That's like a physical freak. And is just so much more bigger, faster, stronger, and electric than all the other players. And then at some level, that usually levels out, right? And they kind of have to develop technically. That never happened for him. Like at every single level he's been at, he's been bigger, faster, stronger, freakish physically. And like, so I think that's kind of like where we're at this interesting point in his career now where like I think – some of that has got to get harnessed. Uh, and, and we talked about how essentially when he came from the Portuguese league, despite the transfer fee, he was essentially for, for my buddy who watches the Portuguese league, he was like, dude, he's the opposite of Luis Diaz. He's like, he's his potential to a roof, but he's technically very raw. 
Whereas Diaz came and he was like the they're like, dude, he's technically brilliant. He's like the finish, like prop, like he's going to be somebody who fits into a system and and takes you next level. And so like how that sort of that part of his development, like I've already seen things in him that I think have developed. Like when he first came in, he was a shoot first striker and you could see it. Now he's picking his head up see today but like he's making these torching runs and he's looking for that extra pass that he wouldn't have looked for a couple months ago so he's clearly developing my thing about this team is i don't know how the front line develops because we have four players that we have recently purchased that are all primary left wingers like essentially diaz darwin jota gakpo all prefer the left wing so how that how that breaks out. I mean, I know we've seen things. Jota does well centrally. We know that we know Nunes can play centrally. We know Gakpo likes to play centrally. We like, so like all these things have all got to get sorted and we still got Bobby. So, I mean, there's just a lot of things that are going to have. And I think what the club thinks, I, I honestly think what they think is like, we don't know what all these players look like together, but we're going to get enough training time and we're going to get enough game time that we're going to figure it out and the chips are going to fall where they may. And if we have access pieces, we'll work out of that. I still am concerned that we legitimately don't have any depth behind Mo, our oldest player across that front three and our most expensive asset. We have no valuable. And, and I think maybe that was probably maybe where Gakpo came in because he was a good price and can play right. Doesn't often, but can. So, but I mean, then again, we played Diaz there a lot. Yeah. So I, I think Diaz, I, I hate to say this. I said this to you guys last year when Mo re-signed the contract. And I was like, I hate to be devil's advocate, but part of the reason to give him this contract here might be that you get a value to sell him. And there are a lot of people that think like he could be sold this summer as one of the only players that actually drives the value. And everyone knows that he has kind of this hair across his ass to go score a lot more goals in his career. And if his goals are going down in the EPL, then they go up in like a French league or one of the other kind of farmers leagues out there. So I could see him going to PSG somewhere like that. I think Diaz could be the long-term answer on the right. And then it's Nunez on the left and Gakpo and Shota through the center. You still have Bobby to give you depth and you have Carvalho to fill in. Like That's just I think crazy to me though. Because when we bought this, he, doesn't, he never played over. He literally had never I, played over on the right. I'm not saying that it's the answer, and and it could be Shota on the right. I mean, we, we don't love that. We've all talked about not right. loving Shota yeah. on the right. But there are options that I think, and if not, then the player they go out and sign and use that money for and invest in the offensive side will be a right attack, attacking player. Somerville. You would think, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, could be Somerville. I'll take Somerville. I mean, he looked really, really – he's looked really, really good. I love the little Italian Nanto at Leeds, but Somerville actually is the player that's caught my eye. Like, Nanto gets all the highlights. Somerville looks like a stud. But there are a lot of these players, and this is the thing. We always talk about this. We'll turn over this team when we turn it over, but ultimately we still need to buy a whole new midfield before we replace any of the front three, which we already have six of. Sure. So let's go back to Gakpo real quick. I mean, seeing him today, some of the things he did, and we'll go back to, you know, how much credit do we give to ourselves today and how much credit do we give to Everton and how bad they are. But uh, 
does he kind of give you that thing, Bickler, where he could be that Bobby replacement we maybe hoped Carvalho could be? Because he does have the physicality that Carvalho does not. And he can, like, turn with the ball, and he can come at you with speed. I mean, you saw that a couple of times today. If he can, if he turns and starts facing the goal, he can really come at you at full speed and cause a lot of havoc. Is he perhaps the, the guy that we wanted instead of Carvalho? I, look, Gakpo's he's extremely young and he's extremely talented and he's extremely good when he's on the ball and in a direct threat. And I think he can hit it from range. Um, the things that I don't like about Gakpo are things that can be developed and probably things that will develop just with more familiarity with the system. But I don't love his off the ball movement. I don't love like he doesn't look particularly uh, interested in pressing uh, like ever. Um, and so, I mean, you're, you're probably not doing that a lot in the Dutch league, um, but like, so it'll be interesting to see how this develops. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that Brian probably says it well here. I do worry about the work rate and what that looks like for Gakpo. And I don't necessarily know that it's like, I don't want to say that he's like disinterested. I don't think he, I, I just don't know if he's that player that that's going to do that for you. I don't know. Is that fair in some ways or Gally? I mean, he's been here what a month. So is that something that over time he's, I mean, maybe like it's just a matter of that. He doesn't have the fitness to be able to be the attacking threat and give the defense to work at the same time. Cause we do ask a lot more of our attackers than, you know, most teams do, especially most teams in the Dutch league. I would say it's probably not fair to assume that in a month we would know whether or not Gagpo is Bobby's replacement, just as it was unfair for us to figure out in the three months we gave Carvalho the chance to be Bobby's replacement before we wrote him off. So, I mean, to be totally honest, like, you know why you don't replace Bobby Firmino? He's a fucking unicorn. Whoa, like, wait, we, hold on, everyone. Hold on, everyone. Give stop the opportunity first of all, rave about Bobby because we know I, I gotta dig through the archives, baby. Bickler, uh, you gotta go through the I, archives and find the bits. If, if you, you'll find the bits where I say things like, I wish Bobby was still playing like the old Bobby that played a lot and was healthy <laughs> and isn't always here and isn't available. And I don't know if we can give this guy another contract, none of which I said then I will actually argue isn't still something factually you could say because since then he's actually played less matches from when we started this conversation about him not being fit and available that said we all know how valuable he is when playing and i think we need a player like him but there's only so many of him and for that i think like that's kind of like we talk about the things that frustrate us about Klopp. The part of me that frustrates me about Klopp is, is like certain managers have tactics and fit their players around those tactics. I feel like he has skill sets of players and wants to find the players to fit that and does it with the squad he has. And I think that's like a detriment where I think Pep looks at something and says like, I don't have this player right now. I don't have Diaz anymore. I no longer have this center back. He's not mentally fit or physically fit. I need to play to John Stone's strengths, Akanji's strengths, and then changes his tactics. I think in a lot of ways. And then benches both of them for Rodri. 
Man, you're well, smartly because he's the best player at City. But he got, all the guy does is score goals. I'm pretty much sure he is their best player. But but I feel like in a lot of ways, Klopp at times like sees a player like Bobby Firmino and says, like, how can I make this player play like Bobby through the middle? Like, I want this, so I have to make this out of it. And I, I really do believe, like, that's part of the problem. We And maybe it's why we never rotate. Because there aren't like-for-like skill sets of every player in our side that are so important. And I think it really does feature, feature into your question about Bobby, is that it's not about who the next Bobby is. It's how can we evolve the position that Bobby's played in this setup when it's not Bobby doing it, because we're not going to find another Bobby Firmino. We just have to find a player that has similar skill sets that keep us at a certain level, but we have to change our tactics. Cause I honestly think it might be why we've struggled over the last six months, the way we have Bobby Firmino hasn't been able to play the entire time. Yeah, I mean, it affects our pressing, obviously, and that's where, you know, like, well, that, do we, if Gakpo is your replacement, that's his weakness. That kind of, like, totally <laughs> takes that away. And I think that's, like, the issue. I really felt like as watching Carvalho before he came, but then watching him in that position, maybe over time as he builds more strength, I just feel like he doesn't have the strength to fight people off. Bobby does not look like a big dude. He's not your number nine. But he can hold people off. He can protect the ball, and you he's know, just like a bigger and, dude. He's he's he's, he's pretty big. Size. Yeah, 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 I mean that he's got strength, and like you know, so I think that's one thing that I can I feel like Gakpo can bring to that position in terms of you know being able to do that. He has the speed. He is good with the ball. I guess we're going to find out if he can kind of. Uh, improve the defensive work rate because that's I think where you can't really replace Bobby that and the pressing so that but at the same time you're kind of like evolving a new front three here and if these guys play together and grow together like Nunez, Gakpo, Mo and then you know like Jota and obviously Diaz maybe that will click as the interplay because all about that middle guy in the system is all about kind of gluing the pieces together so it's a lot of familiarity at the same time but one thing I was talking about earlier, so we'll start with you on this one, Bickler. Today's performance, how much credit goes to us? How much credit goes to how shitty they are? And they're shitty. I mean, I think I, th- I think both. Like, I think both almost pretty equally, to be quite honest. I mean, I think we played better. I think that we looked like a side that was arrested. And I think this looked like a side that for like the first time, like even before the ball kicked, just seemed like they had a little bit of hope. Like, you know, I think just physically seeing dudes on your bench that, you know, are like just elite players coming back, like has to give you a little bit of a boost. Right. Correct. Um, So I I think we definitely came out with a little bit more urgency and a little bit more uh, energy than we have. But I think this is a team that played like it was starting to pick themselves up off the mat. But I don't want to go overboard. I want to be positive, but I don't want to go overboard because this is a team that is absolutely anemic. So uh, from an offensive standpoint, uh, they've done some nice things defensively throughout the year, but they are an anemic offense. And they're starting a dude that all of us were Googling before the kickoff. So, Yeah, that's true. And I think – I know, like, a lot of good pieces coming back. I know it's almost like they took those two days off, and listening to Mo, it almost was more like 
you know, like you're sitting in like a meeting room and nothing is really coming out of it. You're like, everybody fucking go home for two days, brainstorm and come back kind of an ordeal. It's that's what it's felt like. And it's kind of like you got the sense and you might be right. I mean, there's more hope for one when you look at the bench and you can change the game and stuff. And maybe there's more urgency knowing a bunch of guys are coming in coming back and you want to keep your spot so you got to do better and perform better at the same time but galley if you made a pie and cut it in half uh what are you doing over here how much credit are you giving to this team and how they performed the attitude difference versus sean douche and everton i mean maybe it's 55 45 and you lean on the good guy's side for the plain fact that you came out and won a match at home you had to win in a big spot coming off another poor performance, you know, I, um, the only reason I say not a little bit higher is that Everton, you know, if, if Calvert Lewin's playing and you're at least playing the way Sean Dice wants to play with like a point forward and he can play his style. Like they did like against Everton or against Arsenal, Everton actually deserved the win that they got. Because they created just as many good chances as Arsenal did, even though they took their one chance on the corner. Now, to be fair, six inches to the right, and we're down one nothing, and not up one nothing, and we're all wondering what the hell happens if Tarkovsky is celebrating there in the first half off that header. So, like... It really was kind of a good fortune, too, because once again, we almost conceded by not marking a man on the back post on a corner kick. And if that ball buries by Tarkovsky there in the first half and doesn't hit the post and we don't go down and score on the other end, we don't know how this match goes. So I can't really give us all that much credit here, because in some ways, as soon as we scored that goal and went up one nil, the match was over. They knew it was over. Because they weren't coming back from down a goal at Anfield. It just wasn't happening. That's why in some ways this game gave me vibes of like two, three years ago, right? You give a chance early in the game while things are tied and Ellison saves like a one-on-one and like a situation and stuff like that. And then you go and score and then you just like run away with the game. Uh, Except now when you go down one, you don't have the confidence to be able to come back, I think. Whereas in the past, we were like, okay, we'll shake it off and then we'll get we'll go get some goals. I don't think we have that confidence yet. And I think, yeah, that's why. And then the goals we scored, the counters and stuff like that. And I think first time in a long time, we watched Liverpool close out a game. Like I was like as they were doing that in the 70th minute, like kind of like passing it back, controlling, keeping position. I was like, man, we have not seen this shit in like months. It felt like where we were like controlling the pace, like where you said, like, come on, we gotta get a goal. Oh, wait, we don't. We're actually up by two. We can control the game. So it was kind of like an odd feeling with that. But going back to the overall like attitude change, and maybe normally stuff like this, especially since it causes an unnecessary yellow. Uh, I would be like, man, that wasn't called for. Like, don't don't need that. I almost felt like I don't know because it's Pickford, uh, Bickler. I, if that's why, mind you, pick. I don't know what he said, but even Pickford was laughing. So whatever he said was fucking funny. Uh, but not only that, I kind of like like seeing that because I feel like that's what this team needs a little bit of right now. Maybe I would not say this like a year or two ago. I would be like, like just keep going. Don't get a stupid yellow card. 
but it felt like as I was watching it, I thought it was the yellow card. It should have been the yellow card. It was shithousery, whatever. It was well-deserved yellow, got his money's worth out of it. But it felt like, you know what? That's good. We need this. Yeah, I love this yellow. I love everything about it. I love because it's <laughs> Robo back to being classic Robo, which is just a, a total pain in the ass. And um, you know, the probably the most famous one was the head shove on Messi, right? That's Robo, right? This is what he does. And I think this is super needed because like for months we've looked at a team that's a mid-table team that looks like a mid-table team and is acting like a mid-table team. And the acting like a mid-table team to me is worse than the play. That's the worst defense because this is a team that is one of the best fucking teams that ever saw Europe, like ever. And like, I think the return of this from Robbo is, is almost a return to this in like the fact that like, he's it's almost like Robbo is realizing like, dude, we're still fucking Liverpool. Like what? Like, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, like those accomplishments accomplishments is a part of the identity. And like, I think that yellow to me, it was almost in a really microscopic, very small way, reclaiming that identity in a very small way that I hope spreads the rest of the team. Galley. Yeah, I'm, I'm very similar to Paul on this. I was kind of bullish with today's performance. And it wasn't like that I thought they were world beaters. But you go out there against like a crosstown rival, you know the game, so you automatically have the tempered and the extra energy around the stadium. You go out there and you score your two goals, you get the victory, and more importantly, you kind of lay a marker between the robo thing, a couple other kind of dust-ups we had, the little kind of feistiness with Darwin in the first half and yelling at people. And I think it sets the tone because you go out there, you get your three points today, you got to go out there and you got to do the job again, Crystal Palace at the end, right? And then you're all up for Real Madrid middle of next week. And let's be honest, at this point, Our season's about hoping we can fight our way back into the top four by just winning every match in the Premier League, but focusing on the Champions League because it's the only thing left on the calendar that actually means anything right now. So for these guys, everything for me is about getting mentally right for next week, playing midweek against Real Madrid. Because the first leg where they're going to be missing Courtois, where they're going to be missing Benzema, where they're going to be missing Cruz, like that's where you can go actually put a marker down and put yourself in a position to advance. And Who the hell knows? You get past the holders. I mean, it's crazy to me that betting-wise right now in Europe, we have better odds to win the Champions League than Real Madrid, yeah, which that is, is insane. That is a little crazy. Uh, but Brian says we mentally handled the derby very well. They didn't. And I think I, that was something that I was concerned about. I think like the last two, three, four years of this has been more like playing against your little brother. So yep. they get irates, but you're like, come on, kid. And you just like shove their head back. And it's, it was that kind of a setup, whereas we were kind of coming into this one wounded. So I didn't know how well we would react to it. Uh, so first of all, Bickler, 
People are stunned, disgusted, I've noticed this. and annoyed because this is not the first message that came across that you're drinking Guinness, which I personally don't like. That's probably even worse opening a can of worms, but you're drinking it out of a can and the people have spoken. They are not happy. What do you have to say? Listen, Brian? I want to I tell everybody who has very strong opinions on this a couple of things. Like, A, I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong in certain situations. <laughs> B... I've been in the beer industry for longer than some of you guys have been alive. Like I've been in the beer industry for over two decades. Let's not fucking get into, let's not get into like beer rhetoric and what's appropriate and what's not. Cause I've been in so long. We're like, I really don't fucking care. Like I can sit and drink a Miller light. I can go sink it. I can go sink a 12% Imperial stout down. I can go drink a sour all day. I worked at a sour brewery for many years as to meet you knows. So I'm not going to sit here and judge anybody for drinking because I'm just at the end of the day, I'm under a bridge with Patrick Bamford doing my thing. And honestly, Patrick- to be fair, Galia and I witnessed this weekly. This is a guy who eats soup and stew directly out of a pot. So, so like, you know, the manner is not a big cooking. That pot, what people don't know is that pot is burning a hole through section new of the New Balance stand. It's right over real. his left shoulder. It's cooking right now. He's getting ready for that. It's simmering. It's a simmering pot waiting for dinner. It might be, le- it might be last night's leftovers on the stove that he's going to eat cold. And let's be real. I could grab a pint glass and I could pour this thing and we could do the whole cascade with the nitrogen and stuff. But like I have other priorities right now. I have other priorities than what the appropriate stemware is for this. And that's, thing right what now. We, that's what we love about Bickler. See, he's not all uh, about appearances. He is not all about appearances. And I Yes, I know all him. about camera, Alan. It's, it's big, basically Harry Potter for beer. You guys are about 200 <laughs> years behind the times. Well, so, I mean, before we go over here, what do you guys have to say about our title chances now that we won this game, uh, Gally? But no, in a serious note, um, how important is this game? At this, I, while I understand and I agree with what you said about the, like the Champions League, if we have a shot at top four, obviously the key is to string some wins back to back to back. But obviously it makes this Newcastle game even more important. This, this was a really, really big match today because it put us on the road to making a big statement. We have to go to Newcastle somehow and get three points. It's going to be really, really difficult seeing that they don't concede goals. 13 on the entire season, best in the league. Um, but they're not playing their greatest football. Like they, They've started to hit a little dip in form. And let's look at this weekend. Brighton draws. United, United got their win. Uh, you had draws around, you know, Tottenham lost. Everyone around us actually was dropping points. So I think we just have to just pick up three points, pick up three points, hopefully have a couple other teams drop some points and then win our head-to-head matchups with some of these top six, top four rivals. And I actually think we can get right back into this top four race. It is going to take a lot. Because we're going to have to play football at a level of like what we're used to and not what we've been getting. Yeah, so, nothing but, but I think we have a shot. Brian. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, it, it's just a matter of stringing along some wins, though. I was just joking in terms of like running away with this win over here. And, you know, the Thursday nights, uh, the boys will probably preview the game a lot more. I think we'll see a lot more of who's practicing throughout the week to kind of get an idea of 
um, you know, who's going to play against Newcastle. One quick question that I would ask both of you before we leave here, though, is you would guess that Van Dyke will be able to start on that one because by then he'll have a bunch of practices. Is it with Gomez or is it with Matip that he'll play back there? Pickler, start with you. Uh, Matip. I just think that's the, the pairing. Yeah, I'll go Matip. How about you? I'm going to go. go I, I'm going to actually go Gomez. And it's just purely because I think if you ranked up the two of them this season, as bad as Gomez has been at times, Matip has some of the biggest glaring mistakes. And they're in his more favorable uh, right sided position of the center back pairing. And I think Gomez and Van Dyke has a higher upside based on Matip's current form. I think we're starting to see that Matip. It might be the end of Joel Matip. Don't you dare say that. Jeez. I know you hate hearing it when no, I'm I real you, about think... players on the way out. Like, this is it, man. And I think Klopp knows it. He he moved him to fourth choice, even though Gomez had done nothing. Because I think he knows the players on his way out. Yeah, I would go I... with Gomez just on current form, like you're saying as well. Normally, yeah, I would probably say Matzip just because I like what he brings more to the build-up play and stuff like that, especially against the Newcastle team where we might need to open it up. But at the same time, I'm kind of like wor- – the way he's played recently, I'm worried about how he will handle the pressure that Newcastle will put on with their press and stuff. So I would probably say Gomez too. But And we'll find out as, I mean, as we go throughout the week who practices, who doesn't in terms of what we'll see from the front. But definitely great to have a Monday where we talk about a win. And we'll call it an episode by then because I am dying to get that screen off of behind Bickler over here and see what's cooking in that pot so we can get going with that for the week. Thanks to all listening. As always, like, share, join our Discord channel. The link is actually posted on this uh, in the chat on YouTube as well. And then we will see you guys. I will see you guys Wednesday morning where I'll be joined with the Egyptian queen, Egyptian king of ours. Not queen. Yeah, hold on. Rami will queen. shoot. Rami will shoot me. Uh, but yeah, no, no. Egyptian king. Okay. We had a Polish prince. We got an Egyptian we, it, king. Damn it. This shit is live. Well, <laughs> too late. Sorry, Rami. I'll, maybe I'll buy uh. coffee that morning. Uh, I'll be back Wednesday morning, and obviously the boys will be back Thursday nights with Mecca hosting the show. Have a great week, everybody. At least we had a great way to start the week. Have a great one. See you guys later. Take care.